Amen, amen. Good morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday. I am so glad uh, that not only do we have all the people that we have here, but we also have our family that is online that listens to us on our podcast. And, um, you know, this morning, I just have a renewed sense of resurrection for us. I have a new sense of resurrection for what our lives are going to be. You know, I believe that this year, this past year with COVID and with everything that's been going on, I think that there is an awakening that is coming to the church. I think there is a a moment that we're going to have where people are going to wake up and they're going to be resurrected back to the life in Jesus Christ. I think over the last however many months this has been, I guess it's been just a full year now that, you know, people have been indoors. They've not been able to see people. I've seen the most ugliest stuff come out of people. I mean, think about it. If you go and you're caught up in your own little prison called home, you know, trying to stay away from a, from a virus, it's going to cause people to have all kinds of anxiety You know, I've read articles where there's more suicide, there is more people who have mental issues because they have been stuck indoors. And you know, the Lord just told me this morning and said that there are opportunities in our life where things don't go the way that we want them to go. And he brought me to Resurrection Sunday. And I thought, Lord, Resurrection Sunday is this, this... moment that three days after everybody was happy i mean everybody was awesome they were like oh jesus has come back this is great and the lord said well you might want to go read those scriptures again so i said okay i'll go read the scriptures what do you want me to do lord and he brought me to john chapter 20 verses 1 and 2 now the resurrection was an awesome time but perspective is everything Perspective is everything, and perspective is everything in our own lives. In John 20, 1 and 2, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Verse 2 says, Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now I'm going to stop here for a second. Okay, John was the last disciple. He wrote this in like 90, 91, 92 AD in the midst of, in the midst of like all the stuff that was going on in the world. He was the last of the 12 that was there. So he gets to say whatever he wants to being the last one, right? Every time you see this, and the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> this was John saying, look, I outlasted him and I used to, And I used to be the one that he loved, so you're just going to have to get over it. Simon Peter was the one that Jesus put all the responsibility on. So we have to remember that too. And it says, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Mary's first thought is, some some bunch of people came. They went and stole the body. They wouldn't take him, they put him somewhere. You know, the first thing that happened on Resurrection Sunday was a grave robbery. 
I mean, according to the disciples, according to Mary Magdalene, this was a grave robbery. Somebody's coming, taking his body. He's no longer in that tomb. That's got to be the only reason, right? I mean, there's no other reason that, that, that should be that his body would be gone. And it says here, so you come down to verse 6 of John 20. Verse 6 says, Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. So one, I cut out one of the things. John was younger and he was faster. Okay? Just want to let you know that the, the disciple that Jesus loved was young and fast. Okay? He outran Simon Peter. So that's why it says it here. I think Simon Peter was a little upset by that too. Um, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and sat and saw the linen clothes there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying, uh, not lying with the linen cloth. I want to give you an example, okay? So if I was being resurrected, let's just say I was laying on the ground, y'all wrapped me up like a mummy, which is basically what they did. And they had put a face covering over me. Well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get out from under my, my face cover. I mean, not my face cover, but my, my entombness, right? My, my linen cloth that was around me. And then I'm going to take this little face covering off and I'm going to wrap it up and I'm going to set it over to the side. See, this was a, a point that they were making was that it wasn't strong everywhere. Jesus actually folded his own laundry before he went on to heaven. He took the face covering off and moved it completely away from the other side, like putting it on the bedside table. It was showing that this was not a robbery, that this was not something that was of just happenstance where somebody ran in, grabbed his body, threw all the stuff around, and took him. This was deliberate. Jesus wanted them to know, hey, something happened here. It was so powerful to John that he actually wrote it this way. John saw something, but was like, I don't know if I truly believe that or not. And it says, and then the disciples came, uh, who came into the tomb first went in also, and he saw and he believed. What did they believe? They believed what Mary said. Somebody had taken Jesus' body. Verse 9 says, for as... Yet they did not know the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. Verse 10 says, Then the disciples went away to their own homes. They were all together. I want you to understand something. They were thinking something was going to happen. Mary comes and tells them the body is gone. Then they went away dejected, defeated. They went to their own homes like, I guess this is not worth anything anymore. Our Savior's gone. Was this, was this really something that happened? I, I don't know. I mean, I just, as, as a man, I sit there and I think to myself, if I had been in that tomb, would I have thought the exact same thing? Would I have thought to myself, you know, Jesus is gone. There's nothing, no more hope. You know, I would, I would hate to think that, especially since there was four times that Jesus said that I am going to die and I'm going to be raised from the dead. So 
I want you to understand here that they completely left their idealism about who Jesus was, about why all this stuff had happened. They were dejected. They were defeated. So I'm going to give you an example of just one of the times that Jesus told them, hey, I'm going to be resurrected. I'm, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back. And that's in Mark 8, 31 through 33. And it said, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer things and be rejected by the elders and the scribes and be killed and on the third day raise again. Wait a minute, is John wrong? I mean, it seems like it, right? I mean, John said, hey, I just, I don't, I don't know that they even knew about this. They didn't know the scriptures. And it says in verse 32, it says, and he spoke the word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This is when Jesus said, hey, get thee behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. So I want to show you a couple of things from the last verse, okay? They were not in unbelief. They were in disbelief. Let me tell you why. Jesus had done lots of miracles. He's done lots of different things. So much so, he walked on water. He raised Lazarus from the dead. So he already knew. They already had seen one man raised from the dead. This was not the first time they had seen any of this stuff. But see, there's an, an idealism that we have to understand. It's called disbelief. See, disbelief, and I got the definition up here, inability or refusal to accept something that is true or real. See, they didn't unbelieve. They didn't do anything that was, that was contrary to belief other than just said, I'm just not going to accept it. Do you know that we do that a lot? We have things that happen in our life that comes against us. COVID being one of them. We lose a job. We lose a family member. We lose things in our lives that we say to ourselves, I don't have a belief for the truth that God is trying to do something good for me. You know, I've been there. I've done it. I've seen it. And, you know, I would imagine that it's probably 10 times worse if you were a disciple, you watched your Lord and Savior die on a cross, and three days later, his body's gone. They went to disbelief to the max. They were saying, hey, I don't even remember anything that he said to me. Now, I want you to understand something here. Was John wrong? I'm going to say no. John wasn't wrong. These disciples were the most unscripturally founded people ever. Okay? Only the, the elite of the elite got to go and read scripture. Only the elite of the elite actually got to go and see what the scripture said about Jesus. They were just taking his word for it and what he said. You know, that's one of the reasons why we need to remember that the word is truth. And in Romans 10, 17, it actually says that we get faith by hearing and hearing by the word. So we need a scriptural backing. 
We need something, a foundation that we go back to the Word of God and we say, the Word of God says, the Word of God is truth. If the Word of God is truth in you, then now I, I don't run into disbelief. Now I run into belief. Because if I stay in the grounded, founded Word of God, then now every time something comes against me, I go back to the Word. What does the Word say? Oh, the Word says in Philippians chapter 4 that I shouldn't worry about the things, but that there's a peace that passeth all understanding. That it, it gets into our minds and our hearts. And that whatsoever things are good, and whatsoever things are, are true, those are the things I'm supposed to think about. But we will disbelieve and then we will allow those other thoughts to come in. And see, that's exactly what the disciples did. They were there on that morning. They saw it. Mary told them an untruth. Now, I want to, you know, contrary to The Chosen, which I love that show, by the way. So let's, let, I'm, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to tell you that The Chosen is a bad thing. I actually gave money to so they could, they could continue it because I, I believe in it so much. But I'm going to tell you, Mary Magdalene was not the first person that Jesus healed. Okay? Mary Magdalene wasn't even until almost the end, like the last month. She was a brand new believer. She didn't even have most of the teachings of Jesus. And see, she come back and she said it. You know what? The disciples... They should have said, well, you know what? He told us several times he was going to be raised from the dead. Maybe that's what happened. But they said no. You know, Romans 12, 2, when we have the word, this is something that this God keeps bringing back to my remembrance over and over again. And it says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What do you renew with your mind? The word of God that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Remember, for you're mindful of the things, not of God, but of the things of men. See, they had still not renewed their mind to what God's will was. See, that's a, that's a thing that we have to do every single day as disciples of Jesus Christ. We have to renew our mind back to the word and say, I'm going to find out what his good, acceptable, and perfect will is going to be for my life. Not the will of the world, not the things that are being spoken of towards me and about me and about my country and about the things that are happening, but I'm going to find out what the will of God is for my life and for the people that are around me. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this down because I really love that Jesus did a lot of things here in the last couple of weeks of his life and during his resurrection in threes. There was a lot of threes. There was the threes of preparation. We see the threes of preparation where Jesus was trying to get them to a place to where they could believe and not have disbelief when all this, thing, when all this stuff started happening that they would be standing strong in the belief of Jesus and his resurrection. But we're about to find out that it didn't really happen that way. Mark 14, 26 says, And when they had sung a hymn, 
So he had just had the Last Supper. They go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives, and it says in verse 27, Then Jesus said unto them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. Now I want you to understand something. Jesus already knew it. That was not the point. Jesus knew that they were all going to scatter. It was written in the Word. In fact, uh, Zechariah 13, 7 says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So it was going to happen. But what he wanted them to do is he wanted them to understand that after you scatter, there's going to be a promise. But I have been raised and will go to Galilee. So they themselves were, were, had a promise to stand on. You're going to fall away. You're going to stumble. You're going you're to be moved away from me while I'm being crucified. But once this happens, you're going to go to Galilee and I'm going to be there. In fact, it says in, in Mark 14, 38, it says he wanted them to watch and pray Least they enter into temptation. What was the temptation? It wasn't that they stayed with him and that they got crucified as well. He already knew that they were going to be scattered. The temptation was to stop believing, to be in disbelief. And it says in verse 40, And when he returned, he found that they were asleep and that their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. In verse 41, it says, Then he came the third time and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed. Do you know that when Jesus was trying to get them to understand their piece of it, their piece of it was not to stay with him. It wasn't to stop the people from crucifying Jesus Peter went, took a sword, cut a guy's ear off. Jesus heals the ear and says, no, you don't know what you're doing. This wasn't about stopping it. It wasn't about making them martyrs themselves. This was about keeping them in belief rather than disbelief. And then we know that the denial of Jesus by Peter happened in threes. And it says in and so right before then, I want you to understand that, that Jesus foretold of this and Peter basically said, no, Lord, I will never, ever deny you. And then all the other disciples, because Peter said, well, even if all of these over here deny you, then, then I will never deny you. And the disciples were like, me neither, Lord. Me neither, we're going to stay with you even if we have to die. Well, guess what? Jesus knew that they were going to stumble. He knew that, they were, that, that he wanted them to recover. He wanted them to be in belief. He wanted them to have the ability not to fall away from him completely. Because it was, it was for him to die for them. But it wasn't for them to die for him that night. Mark 14, 66 through, through 72, it says, Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You are the one, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. 
but he denied it. So Jesus, so Jesus told him, he automatically denies it the first time he gets just pushed. Be kind of like this. If somebody, if somebody came up to me, it doesn't say that there was a crowd of people. He's over there warming himself. He's staying away from everybody, right? This is, this is somebody that just came up and said, hey, weren't you with him? Well, he could have, he could have said, oh, I don't know you, I don't, you know, and he could have moved on. But no, he automatically denied it. See, he was so afraid See, it's pretty easy when, when the master of the universe that was going around flipping tables that weighed 400 pounds in the temple where the money changers was at, and he didn't just tump it over. Tump, that's an that's a Alabama term. You know, I'm going to tump it over. He didn't just tump it over. He grabbed a 400-pound table and he flipped it End over end. And it came down with all the money strong. 400 pounds. I, I'm a big boy, okay? I can barely take this podium right here that's made of like, and flip it end over end. Jesus did a whole table. You know, Jesus walked on water. How many people you know have walked on water? You know, Jesus actually, you know, Peter thought the greatest thing that he did was he killed off a fig tree. I'm going to go back and say, look, you got all these other things. He, he actually created eyes for a guy one time and they were all standing there. See, this is what you have to understand is they didn't, it was not like they didn't have anything to go on. It'd be kind of like me if I told y'all a story and I said, hey, last week I was doing, you know, I laid hands on somebody and they got healed. And you may go, well, that, that's great. I hear you. I believe that. Okay? But then all of a sudden, somebody comes along and they press you on it and you go, well, I don't really know if Dusty killed him. I, didn't, I wasn't there. No, no, no. These guys were there and saw every single thing. It's not like I just heard it. Well, I think that happened. They were there for Lazarus being raised from the dead. The man had been in, in, in a tomb for four days. He was stinking. I mean, I'm pretty sure no one wanted to be around Lazarus for at least until he got a bath. But this is the things that the disciples saw. People were drawn to it. They knew that it happened. And it says here, and it says um, in verse uh, 68, it says, but he denied it and saying, I neither know or understand what you were saying. And when he went out on the porch and um, a roaster crowed, roaster, a rooster crowed, verse 69, it says, and the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by. So now she's gathering up some people, right? Um, Surely you are one of them. But he denied it again. And later those that stood by uh, said to Peter again, surely you're one of them who are a Galilean and your speech shows it. And then he began to curse and swear. He used the GD word. I mean, he was, he was like, oh, I'm, I'm swearing against God. I'm swearing against Jesus Christ. I don't agree with anything that you've said. Stay away from me. 
And I don't know this man whom you speak of. A second time, the rooster, the rooster crowed. Then Peter called him to the, called to mind the word um, that Jesus had said to them. Before the rooster crows thrice, I mean twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. You know, there's a lot of times where, you know, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he would say, how long do I have to be with you? How long do I have with you at this time? And you know, I believe Peter and all them was like, yeah, he must be talking to those other 11. Because I got it, Lord. I know who you are. I've got all the different things that I need. You know, for the first time, Peter was ashamed of Jesus. He was ashamed to be associated with Jesus. He was ashamed of, of even being in, in line with the idealisms of Jesus Christ. You know, there were all the other times he fought for Jesus. And see, I want you to understand that in our lives, there are times where we will pull ourselves away from Jesus. We will say, you know what? I don't know if I actually understand who Jesus is in my life. I don't have a connection, a relationship with him. And you know what? The Lord's constantly speaking to us and he's trying to say, look, I'm praying for you. I'm keeping you in line with who I am. You know, Jesus appeared to his disciples three times. And I believe there's a reason for that. I actually have this thing I call the three meeting rule when I'm at work. I go and tell somebody about something that I want to do. And then they go, they go, I don't know so much about that. Then the second time they're like, eh, okay, we'll talk about that more. And by the third meeting, we're like, okay, I think we can actually start doing something with this. I believe Jesus operates on this same three rule, three meeting rule, okay? Because we're going to find out that the first meeting didn't go real well. In John 20, 21, it says, So Jesus said unto them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send to you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive you the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins of any, then they are forgiven. If you retain sins, then they are retained. So I want you to understand something. Jesus comes into a closed off room, walks through a wall, comes in, he tells them this. It didn't say they received anything. It just says he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. I think they're all like, whoa, what's happening? I don't know what, who is this? Is this really Jesus? Is this really the, the savior of the world? And it says that right after this, it says that, that he didn't, that he left right after all of this and he went away. And um, I wanted to give you another scripture here because it says in Luke 24, 40, uh, 49, it says, behold, I have sent my promise of the father upon you but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you endured the power, we are endued with the power on high. So Jesus gave them a second thing. He gave them a second opportunity to receive here. So that's one of the reasons why I believe that they came in. I believe that Jesus said, hey, here's the Holy Spirit. They were all kind of like, wait a minute, I don't 
know exactly what you're giving me here. Because, hey, they'd all denied him. They'd all walked away from him. I mean, it wasn't like a family reunion where it was like, hey, this is great. The first time they met, it, everybody was kind of like, what's going on? The second, so between the second and third time, Thomas actually said, I don't believe at all, and I'll have to put my fingers through the nail holes in order to believe. The second time Jesus shows up, he says, hey, here's my, here's my nail holes. You want to put your hand in my side? See, Thomas said, hey, I believe. I believe now, Lord. He was starting to get on board. Some of the other disciples were starting to get on board. But what I want you to understand is, is that Jesus told him, he said, you, you're not blessed because you see and you believe. Those that do not see and believe, they are blessed. You know, I've never seen Jesus' print pricks in his hands. I've never seen the open wound in his side. And I believe. You know, blessed are all of you that are sitting here that have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and have accepted the gospel without seeing but believing. That's a blessing because we are now able to be discipled of God. We're able to be discipled on things that we didn't understand. We didn't have that believing and seeing. We had just the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone was on the inside of us. So the third time, because I want to get us to lunch, okay? Because I know that that's the most important part of this is that we've got to have lunch at some point. But I want to get us to, to this third point because I believe it's very important for us to understand. You know, John 21, 3 through 6, Simon Peter said unto them, I'm going fishing. Now, Simon Peter had not worked in a week. They didn't have anybody giving them tithes and offerings and any of that kind of stuff. He's like, hey, I got to start my business back up. And then it says, uh, and they said, hey, we're going with you. So he had a bunch of the disciples that was with him and they all decided, hey, we're going to become fishermen too. They went out and immediately went to their boat and that night they caught nothing. I want to give you a little bit of an example here. Peter was a horrible fisherman. There was never a time that you read where Peter said, hey, I caught a lot of fish. It was every single time Jesus had to come and bail his rear end out. So we're about to see that. And it says, but when the morning was, had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, children, have you any food? And they answered and said, no. I mean, this is pretty much like, no, go away. In verse six, and it says, it says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast the net and now they were, were not able to draw it because of the multitude of fish. I want you to understand, Jesus brought it all full circle. It actually says that Peter threw on his tunic and jumped into the water and swam. He was like, oh, I remember this. I was a horrible fisherman and Jesus came and told me where to go find fish. And then he told me he was going to make me a fisher of men. See, this whole story is, is this whole re 
telling of what happened had to do with Jesus being, being coming to full circle with Peter. Because Peter was the one that he told, hey, I'm going to build my church upon the things that you say. I'm going to build my church upon this rock that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, Jesus and, and Peter met this way, but also Jesus and Peter had a conversation after this that was almost exactly the same. In fact, this conversation, if you remember, at the first time when Jesus and Peter met, he told him, he said, hey, you're no longer going to be a fisherman, but a fisherman of men. I will make you a fisherman of men. So now Jesus tells him, hey, I want you to be a farmer, a sheep farmer, I guess. But John 21, 15, it says, so when they had dined, Jesus said unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. Now I want to show you something because this is powerful. This is probably the most powerful thing I'm going to say to you today. Okay, we don't, we don't understand if we just read this alone without going back to the Greek and seeing what it was actually saying here. But Jesus said, do you agapo me? And agapo means cho uh, a chosen without promise to love in regards of Christ's love. This is the same word that's used in John 3.16. This means it's an uncompromising chosen love. It means that no matter what Peter could have done, no matter what we do, God loves us. It's uncompromising choice. You know what Peter says? Hey, bro, I like you. Because phileo, which everybody knows, you know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, right? So we already know that this is like brotherly love. It's like, hey, buddy, I like you a lot, but I'm not going to show up and help you with anything. All right. I mean, you've got to understand this. There's a lot of people that I like, but I'm not going to give them opportunity to, you know, be alone with my kids. You know, because I don't trust them. I don't know them. And see, Peter was basically saying, I don't know if I trust you yet. I don't know if I really understand what you're asking of me anymore because I thought you were going to be the big Christ that was going to come in and kick Rome out. But no, you went and you gave yourself up to die on a cross. And I don't understand that. You know, I wouldn't have understood it either. Everybody thought the Messiah was supposed to come back and take over and rule and reign with an iron rod. He said, I don't know if I actually understand what you actually stand for anymore. You wanted me to be this person that was going to create your church. I don't know if I want to be a part of that. I like you. I think you're all right. And then he said a second time, Simon, son of Jonah. Now he's getting like really, he, he's starting to go, hey, 
do you love me? Do you love me? And he said unto him, he said, Lord, thou knowest I love you, brother. And he said unto him, feed my sheep. And he said unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? He said, hey, I know you're not there yet. So I'm going to change it. I'm going to meet you where you're at. I'm going to try to create a, I'm going to try to create a bridge here. I know that you don't love me with an un, with an unfiltered choice, with an uncompromising choice. I know that you just like me. You think I'm all right. I've never done you wrong, but eh. so I'm going to put it to you in those terms because that's what you can accept. And he says, and it says here, Peter was grieved because he said unto him three times, lovest thou me? See, it wasn't, it wasn't because Jesus asked three times. It was because Jesus changed it. He realized. It was a little bit like the, the, the cock crowing, if you will. The moment he realized, oh, Jesus had to change it because of me. There's something wrong in me. There's something wrong in my own self. And it says here, it says Peter was grieved because Jesus had said this three times. And on the third time, the phileo, brother, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things, which Jesus did. Thou knowest that I love thee. And he said, feed my sheep. You know, I'm going to tell you, Jesus died. He went to heaven. He put his blood on the mercy seat. He gave us the opportunity for people to have free will to believe in him or to not believe in him. And let me just say this. Peter had the free will. If he had walked away that day, Jesus would have went and got somebody else. In fact, I'm going to tell you, I believe that's what happened a little bit. At least for a little while. Because we have this guy named Paul that ended up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. And I think it was because Peter took a long time to really get involved and to say, I'm going to trust Jesus again. Fact to the so much that Paul actually had to go rebuke Peter several times because Peter would go back to the Jews. He wanted to have that relationship with the Jewish people in a way that was the law. And Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. I'm not going to bring back the Mosaic law. And so I think there had to be a Paul that came into this in order to create this, to be able to create what we have now in our New Testament where the covenant of Jesus was written down for us to be able to see these 2,000 years later. In fact, we see this that at some point, Peter said, hey, I'm going to fulfill my purpose. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 7 says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, according to his divine power, has he given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are we given such an exceeding and great knowledge of him that he called to glory and virtue. 
I want you to understand that knowledge is coming through relationship. If you have just head knowledge of some words that are on a, that are on a piece of paper, you're probably not going to get very much. But we have to have that relationship with Jesus. And I believe that Peter got that relationship because we're going to see here um, in verse 5, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and this is where it gets to. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. See, that's where he was at. He was at the brotherly kindness. He was at the phileo with Jesus. He understood that piece of it. But then he said, I'm going to add one more to you. And he said, brotherly kindness to charity, which is agape. See, Peter had found his agape. Peter had come to a point to where he had so much relationship with Jesus that now I go from just brotherly kindness of just thinking, you know what, I like what Jesus does to say, no, I chose Jesus. I chose who he was. I chose his path for my life. Do you know that that's what Jesus is asking you to do today is on Resurrection Sunday, let's choose, let's choose to be resurrected in our thinking, in our mind and with Jesus Christ to resurrect our relationships with Him, to resurrect the call of God that's upon each and every one of our lives. There are things that Jesus wants you to do. Each and every one of you, you have a call, you have a purpose. And today is Resurrection Sunday and we need to resurrect the idealisms that Jesus has put on the inside of us. We have people in here that are evangelists that need to go and tell people about Jesus. We have people in here that are anointed to be caregivers to people. We have people in here that are anointed to be an ear to listen. And you know what? We can resurrect that. If you've lost that today, if you've lost the ability to see who you are in Christ Jesus, Jesus said, I'm standing right here and I'll resurrect you right now. We will make a new purpose in your heart and in your mind. You know, if you've listened to this today and you say, you know what, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to do this right now. I want everybody to close your eyes. Because this is so simple. This is the most simple part of the gospel. Is that all you have to do and all you have to say is Romans 10, 9, 10. And you just say, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. And I believe that you died on the cross for me and you were resurrected and gave me new life. And if you say amen to that, that it is so, then you've just accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Now, as your head are bowed right now, I want you to think. I want you to think about the things that the Lord has put on your heart and in your mind over your lifetime. The things where you haven't been able to do the things that the Lord wanted you to do, 
I want you to think of those things and I want you to say, Lord, I'm giving this back up to you, Father. I want a renewed resurrection in my purpose and in my calling. I want you to show me how to be able to take the things that you're putting in my heart and how to make them manifest on the outside so that I can affect people in the way that you would want me to affect them. And I'm just going to pray for everyone right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, dear Lord, you're renewing minds and you're renewing their spirit, Father, to the things that you've had for them. I thank you, Father, that you're bringing them to a point there here on this Resurrection Sunday to where they see that you are their God and that they are your children and that their inheritance through the Holy Spirit, that it is perfect and that there is a peace that passeth all understanding, that in their body they can have renewed Uh, They can have renewed health. They can have renewed minds, Father, by your word. And that whatever comes against them, that they can overcome, just like it says in Revelations 12, 20, it says that they overcame by by the word of the Lamb and by their testimony. And Father, I just thank you that in each and every person that, that is listening to my voice today, that that renewed spirit starts right now. Resurrection in their hearts and in their minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.